0: Gertan Morgan. See what's on Gaia. Some, maybe something about um, Shakespeare Decoded. It says, How do mathematical codes and alchemy. Outcome- Alchemical clues left within the works of Shakespeare reveal his connection with Freemasonry, Rosicrucians, and royal families. Follow this new Gaia original series with author Alan W. Green. First episode The Heist. Who so or what was Shakespeare? Explore the modern day. Heist exposing free Masonic clues that began a quest to uncover one of the biggest literary cover ups in history from the alchemical creations of John Dee and Elizabethan era to the mysteries of Edward de Vere, Earl of Oxford's.
1: To be or not to be? That is what you were expecting, right? Or not here. There'll be no me thinketh, no wherefore art thou, and definitely no men in tights. This is about the real Shakespeare, the man behind the mask. Throughout history, there have been several theories surrounding who the real Shakespeare was. Some say Sir Francis Bacon was involved, others have unearthed evidence that points to Edward de Vere, the 17th Earl of Oxford. Records from the Renaissance. During the reign of Queen Elizabeth Revealed that Edward de Vere's father died mysteriously And the young Earl inexplicably became a ward of court Under strict supervision of the Queen's closest advisor William Cecil Also we learned John Dee was a master mathematician Cryptographer And spy for the Queen on Her Majesty's secret service His code number?
0: 007, 007
1: we will uncover the elaborate cryptographic masterpiece de-embedded within Shakespeare's works that reveals the poet's true identity. Connecting the dots on the cover of his famous sonnets, we discover that D embedded 12 math constants, five of which were not even known at the time of printing in 1609, along with the geographical coordinates of the Great Pyramid of Giza. Uniting the sonnet numbers that contain the words speed, light, and pyramid, we discover an equation that reveals the speed of light to 99.84% accuracy, 300 years before Einstein knew it. The same system also reveals the average distances from Earth to sun and moon. Using Dee's unique cryptographic method, We will examine the mysterious Enochian tables that were channeled to him by angels
0: in the medium that would tell about Shakespeare
1: and learn how to use this mysterious grid to create a system that ensured these secret messages survived the dark ages to reach us today. Decrypting additional clues within Shakespeare's plays, we will find sequences of deliberately age numbers that point to astounding revelations that are all part of a divine puzzle. We'll also learn the foolproof system Dean Shakespeare used to draw attention to specific dates, which reveal that the entire sonnet sequence mirrors the structure of the Great Pyramid. We will add up all the characters in Shakespeare's sonnet dedication, his monument and gravestone, and find they sum to 624, coinciding with the fact that the Enochian tables were channeled to D on June 24th, 624, and contain 624 squares, exposing an undeniable cipher that leads to Holy Trinity Church in Stratford, England. Add to this the fact that the sonnet's dedication is structured as six lines, two lines, and four lines. Then discover that the T.H. and M.E. ligatures on the monument mimic the Freemasons' sacred triple Tau symbol. As we examine several elaborate pieces of Dee's divine puzzle, we are compelled to recognize both a new Shakespeare and Freemasonic secrets that will change history as we know it. Whoever the real Shakespeare was, what went down behind the curtain in the life of this legendary icon was more dramatic, more dangerous than any of his most controversial plays. You're about to witness an inconceivable true story, a secret society espionage thriller with a juicy royal scandal thrown in. ...all wrapped up in a stunning coded masterpiece that finally solves a four-centuries-old cover-up. The greatest literary whodunit of all time. Holy Trinity Church in stratford upon avon is one of
0: England's most been popular
1: tourist attractions. It's where, we are told, William Shakespeare is buried just a few yards away from the most sacred relic in the church, the Holy of Holies' altar stone. This 800-year-old marble slab and Shakespeare's grave and monument are guarded by 24-hour CCTV cameras and a forensic system that sprays any unauthorized intruder with a chemical, detectable on the body or clothing for up to 12 months. Don't risk it. 100 percent conviction rate in court says the welcome Mm sign. why such james bond style security nobody's gonna walk out with it it weighs over three tons what secrets does it hold there are lots of secrets surrounding the shakespeare mystery for instance in school we were taught He's the most famous poet-playwright in the Western world. One of the most prolific writers ever. But here's something we were never told. The greatest writer in history never wrote a letter to anyone. Not so much as a note has ever been found. You've probably heard... He wrote best selling epic poems, over 150 sonnets, dozens of the most famous plays in the world.
0: He didn't know how to read or write. Some nice
1: dreams, Beth, Romeo, and Juliet, but we were
0: never told.
1: To a single original manuscript. Hmm? Sure. No original manuscript <laughs> has ever been found. Not a play. A poem, a page, a line, a word exists in his own hand. Just six shaky signatures, all barely legible, all spelled differently. Shakespeare. Handwriting experts can't even agree they were all written by the same person.
0: Your flesh is a merriment of the one who set the table on a raw. Not one now to mock your own grinning.
1: Ten of his plays are set in Italy and reveal his. Intimately familiar with the locations, customs, and idiomatic language. As I am Egypt's queen, thou blushest, Antony. Thirteen more are set throughout Europe, the Middle East, the African countries, and yet the man from Stratford, the man we've all been told was the great author, of that man, Shakespeare, never set foot outside of England. We're told he was this great scholar, fluent in multiple languages with unfailingly accurate knowledge of astronomy, astrology, medicine, botany, Greek mythology, the Bible, mathematics, music, seafaring, military terms, aristocratic pursuits such as hawking, tennis, swordsmanship, jousting, court customs, politics, and above all, an encyclopedic mastery of the law. And yet... His last will and testament reveals he didn't own a single book, not even a family Bible, and no record exists showing he had even the fairest minimum of an education. We were never told these things, but you're about to discover why all this was covered up. My crown is in my heart, not on my head. I've been a pianist, composer, singer, recording artist virtually all my life until 2004 when I became obsessed with the Shakespeare mystery and stumbled onto some Renaissance codes which, inexplicably, I found I had a knack for deciphering. Six years later, I had dived so deep into this world that I knew for certain I had discovered The most important cryptographic key to solving the whole Shakespeare puzzle. And I had identified the actual physical location where Shakespeare had left the truth of who he really was and why there had been a cover-up. All I had to do was go get it. The holy grail of literature. Except... (laughs) It's one of the busiest tourist attractions and most protected sites in England. Holy Trinity Church in Stratford, plus it happens to be the most sacred relic in the church, the Holy of Holies altar stone. And all those warnings at the entrance are likely due to the war that's been raging for about 200 years between the Stratfordians, those are the ones who believe only the man from Stratford could possibly have been the great author and groups who believe the writer was someone else. The most prominent in those camps are the Oxfordians. They believe the 17th Earl of Oxford, Edward de Vere, was responsible. Needless to say, the whole town of Stratford is dependent on the Orthodox stories. A major part of their livelihood derives from the status quo. So anyone breezing into town claiming they have an answer to a question that townsfolk won't even acknowledge exists is by default pretty unwelcome. Now I went to the church and to the bishop of the diocese and told them I know where a priceless Shakespeare relic is hidden that will bring the church worldwide acclaim and effectively end their financial woes forever. Come on, let's open up the altar. It's in there. The immediate reaction was to dismiss my theories out of hand without even giving it a look. Are you a cryptographer? No, but do you have a a master's degree in mathematics or cyber security? No, I'm actually a pianist, but thank you so much for coming, Mr. Green. No one was going to take my claim seriously without the endorsement of an actual cryptographer. So, I contacted the most famous cryptographer in the world, Whitfield Diffie, to ask would he check my methods and hopefully confirm my conclusions were sound, maybe even give me some pointers. But his consultation fee was $500 an hour, and, well, I had hundreds of pages of research and discoveries, most of which were the kind that you wouldn't normally associate with your standard conception of Shakespeare. Bizarre, unexpected connections, such as hidden references to the Great Pyramid of Giza, Rosicrucian and Freemasonic symbolism in certain plays, on his gravestone, on the monument, behind the altar in the Stratford Church, and, most strange of all, strong clues that the real Shakespeare faked his own death in order to be free to do the most important side gig of his career, King James I couldn't afford Diffie to even look at the index to my list of findings. But I got lucky. His wife, Mary, was an avid Egyptologist, it turns out, and he seemed intrigued by the Freemasonic connections, so I I suspect that was the combination that led him to offer a rather generous compromise. He said he'd do a quick analysis over dinner if I picked up the tab. Well, of course... He chose the most expensive restaurant in Silicon Valley, and it was a six-hour drive for me, but hey, I would get to pick the brain of a living legend. The rest, as they say, is mystery. You see, in 1976, Diffie and two associates solved an age-old problem assumed by the greatest math minds of all time to be unsolvable. How to communicate a password securely across an insecure channel their groundbreaking discovery has impacted everything from how the world's banking systems operate to keeping the nuclear codes safe and uh, while they were at it they just happened to make digital online commerce possible it's called public key exchange let's see how it works long before Edward Snowden long before even WikiLeaks The NSA tried to ban this book because it revealed more about code-breaking than they themselves knew. Its author, David Kahn, said Diffie's accomplishment was the most revolutionary new concept in the field since the Renaissance. It's a great magic trick, performed entirely with zeros and ones. Let's say Alice wants to send some information to Bob in secret. Their communication is vulnerable because Eve is always listening. Now, his system actually mixes very large prime numbers, but he, he knew he'd never get the suits to understand. He was making the world safer if brain fog set in as soon as he opened his mouth. So instead of attempting to explain this, he simply showed them this and said, imagine two cans of paint, easy to mix, Impossible to unmix. Eventually, Eve became the name the agencies used to mean any eavesdropper in playing. Anyway, here was Diffie's solution to all that. Alice and Bob agree on a public key, yellow, knowing full well that Eve will intercept it. But then Alice creates her own private key, let's say red, mixes it with the yellow public key, and gets orange. These are just large prime numbers. For Bob creates his own private key, let's say blue, mixes it with yellow, and gets green. Yellow isn't needed anymore, and now Alice and Bob communicate these new keys to each other, knowing full well Eve will steal these two, but now the magic trick. Alice mixes Bob's green with her private red, producing brown. Bob mixes Alice's orange with his private blue, producing brown. These are absolutely mathematically identical. No need for orange or green anymore. Alice and Bob are golden. They can communicate securely in public. And sure, Eve will still grab it, but without the red and the blue keys, she has no idea how this was mixed. Eve is shut out. That's the miracle, the public key exchange. And for about 45 years, this system has been impossible to crack, even using all the brute force computing power available on the planet, So, we're having dinner me, the piano player, and the math legend who saved the world, and has friends in high places. And I mean really high places, like NSA, CIA type high places. So I seize the moment and I say, Look, what if Alice, or let's say Will, wants to send a message not across distance to Bob, but across time to earn. Eve, during the Renaissance, would have been the notorious Star Chamber. If Will's got a secret, so dangerous his entire life's paper trail has to vanish. He obviously needs a really secure key, right, to communicate forward, to a time when it'll be safe for it to be known. So a public key text appears in 1609. The dedication page to the Shakespeare sonnets. And combined with two inscriptions soon to come on the poet's monument and gravestone, they form the equivalent of the yellow key. You're going to see these in detail in episode two. But for now, let me just give you the broad strokes I gave Diffie. Star Chamber could intercept these and they certainly did. We know, for instance, that the sonnets were suppressed as soon as they were published. But still, a handful of them have managed to reach us 400 years across time. What the Star Chamber did not know is that Shakespeare had his own Diffie guy working in the shadows named Dr. John Dee. Dee had friends in high places, too. Very high places. He was deeply into the esoteric arts and communed with angels for over a decade. But we'll get into that soon enough. So Shakespeare had his own red and blue private keys. This was the red one. 400-year-old private text marked with a numbered grid system, clearly telling us how to arrange the public text to be superimposed exactly over it, letter for letter. I'll show you in in the next episode how Dee's system produced the code needed to accomplish this goal. Suffice to say, though, for now, it worked. He successfully sent a password securely across an insecure channel, resulting in a message. Across time, that essentially says a record has been preserved for posterity. Look closely at the consecrated altar stone, where I have hidden inside what I want you to know. Public key exchange, Renaissance style. Diffie sat there for a long time, unblinking, like he'd seen a ghost. Hamlet's path. I like to think he'd simply recognize a system created 400 years ago, almost identical to the one he had created in 1976. Finally, very slowly, he said, if I were you, I would radar scan that altar. He then confided in me a few words of advice concerning Eve that I cannot repeat publicly, but that sent shivers down my spine. He was warning me that without scientific proof, the truth of what I'd found might never be allowed to come out. This could affect the monarchy, right? I nodded, and he called for the check. Fortunately, they knew me at the Stratford Church. I'd made a number of visits already and made some fairly generous contributions in exchange for them letting me film in areas normally off-limits to the general public. I told them I was writing a musical, and all along I'd been laying the groundwork for something bigger. I just didn't quite know what. So I called them up and asked, Would they like me to perform a concert of some songs from my Shakespeare musical in the chancel by his grave? And they said, well, we just had a booking fall through. So there's actually an opening in a couple of weeks. Could I make it? I had about 10 days to prepare. I assembled a small team, someone to operate a rented scanner system, someone else to secretly film it. I had a huge Banner printed up, advertising the musical. Customs loved it at Heathrow. But its real purpose, of course, was to hide what would be happening at the altar. Disabling the CCTV cameras turned out to be quite simple, actually. At the very end of the concert, I simply asked for all the church lights. be turned off so I could sing the final song by Candlelight. It was so beautiful, and so dark. The forensic system, I was shut off during the show because I I put the piano right up against the grave. They couldn't risk staining their Steinway. I hired a local film crew to shoot the concert, which distracted from my own secret film crew behind the banner scanning and filming in night vision. The scan guy had just four minutes while the lights were off, in which to do the scan. He laid a protective covering down so as not to harm the altar. It had grid lines printed on it to guide him as his eyes adjusted to the near total darkness. The song finished, the lights came up, the banner came down, nobody was any the wiser. We hadn't taken anything except zeros and ones. It was the perfect non-crime. Well, we could have been arrested, of course. Back at the hotel, we nervously checked the footage. Well, to be sure, our guy had remembered to switch it on. He'd only had part of an afternoon to practice with it. We hit send. And within a few seconds, 400-year-old secret was on the hard drives of two of the leading radar labs in America. Everyone was sworn to secrecy. Even him the church feeling we had accomplished what Shakespeare himself clearly hoped somebody would eventually do. All that remained was to await the result from the lapse. All consecrated Catholic altar stones have to have a saint's cavity hewn into them. It's a small hole that holds relics of a saint. A little blue area is what you'd expect to see in the scan. The two labs worked independently of one another using separate protocols to assure accuracy and both reported the same result. This perfect replica built to scale allows us to see exactly what the scan found at the cavity over six and a half feet long, eight inches deep, up to 30 inches wide. It's 250 times the size it's supposed to be. You don't cut a hole that big into solid polystyrene, I mean marble, unless you're going to put something that big into it. Sure enough. The scan reveals differing densities, indicating the presence of various items within this huge cavity. The missing manuscripts, new priceless masterpieces, who knows? Would you like to know? I can tell you one of the most precious items that will be found inside the altar stone when it's eventually opened up, and that's the original sonnets written in the hand of the bard himself. Actually, precious. can't even begin to describe such a treasure. Considering you learned already that Shakespeare left absolutely zero paper trail, finding anything belonging to the great poet would be literally priceless. I can predict with confidence that the signs are there, because the same codes that were scientifically proven accurate by the radar scan are the very same codes that predict he chose the Holy of Holies to be the secret resting place. ...of his most divine love poems. In the next episode, we'll examine in detail how those codes came into being... ...and who exactly Dr. John D. was. But I know you're anxious to start, so here's just a brief preview. It all centers around the name of God given to Moses on Mount Sinai... ...which is commonly translated from the original Hebrew as... I am that I am. This is the first clue that starts us off on this magnificent journey because it's something Shakespeare writes in one of his sonnets. He says, no, I am that I am, and they that level at my abuses reckon up their own. I may be straight, though they themselves be beveled by their rank thoughts, my deeds must not be shown. These words, Reckon, straight, bevel, rank are all Freemasonic terms, indicating that those of high rank within their secret societies are declaring his deeds must not be shown. He must, in other words, be anonymous. It was extremely dangerous for Shakespeare to say that, and we'll get into why soon enough. But as you're about to see for yourself, the great poet author has hidden so many secrets inside the sonnets, it becomes clear that this little book of poems is the central Rosetta Stone, if you will, through which he reveals the truth, not only of his identity, but the great spiritual truth hiding deep inside every single one of us. So what is the Hebrew name of God revealed in Exodus? (laughs) Echir, Asher, Echir. I am that I am. Sometimes we're used to just, I am that, or a here, a share. So let's look at this pen name the author chose to conceal his true identity. I am a share, the name of God, will speak. And yes, that's how speak was spelled in Shakespeare's day. It's clearly indicating He's a vehicle for divine truth. There's hardly a Shakespearean scholar who would argue with that, whether Stratfordian, Oxfordian, Baconian, or any other audience. They all agree. His work is divine. Setting aside just the I am will part, which of course is the ultimate creative force of all life, we find that even just the name Shakespeare itself has its own hidden meaning. Seek a sephar. Well, a sephar is a Hebrew word that means a numbering system or book. It comes from the root word sephir or cipher. We're all familiar, I'm sure, with the Jewish tree of life symbol, the sephirot. So, seek a sephar literally means look for. A secret numbering system in a cipher code book, through which I am that, the divine name, will speak. Clearly, that cipher code book that contains a secret numbering system is Shakespeare's sonnet. I very much look forward to showing you the beautiful secrets it contains. Whoever the real Shakespeare was, he, she, they pulled off the greatest vanishing act ever. We don't yet know why. That's what we're going to find out in the next six episodes. But we do know where he left the answer for us. It's right here.
0: Right, it's pretty good stuff, man. Guy's still there. Yes, hello, darlings. we going to listen to some stuff about Shakespeare today. Ah. Hmm. Thanks for 284K.
1: We've seen Whitfield Diffie's system for sending a secure code Mm. across a distance. Field Diffie's system for sending a secure code across distance. We've also seen John Dee's system for sending a secure code across time. And deep down, their concepts turned out to be the same, which shouldn't really be a surprise because distance and time, according to Einstein, are essentially the same thing: space-time. Diffie's invention caused a paradigm shift that literally changed the world. Dee's invention, once recognized, is going to cause a similar paradigm shift in the world's perception of who Shakespeare really was. Sure, right now when we hear his name we don't think science or astronomical equations, we think plays and poetry, right? Yet his plays and poetry are actually full of references to stars, moon, sun, comets, eclipses. We've just assumed for four centuries that he's only using those words poetically. What if that's not the case? Why on earth would Edward de Vere, the Earl of Oxford, sometimes called just Oxford for sure, go to the trouble of enlisting his friend, John Dee? greatest cryptographer of the time, to devise such a mathematically elegant system of sending a secret message to posterity to us. Why not just write it on a piece of parchment, sign it, tape it to the underside of the altar? It will still be found eventually, no need to jump through all these hoops. Unless the numbers themselves and the patterns they form are as important as the inner message they are wrapped around. Quantum physicists today are verifying what the ancient philosophers have always said. On the surface, it looks like we live in a world made up of all these different elements. But deep down, hydrogen, helium, lithium, beryllium, boron, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, they're just different numbers of electrons, combinations of the same one thing that elusive god pop. Isn't that what Shakespeare's saying in The Tempest? We are such stuff as dreams are made of. And in Twelfth Night, when he has a drunkard and a clown say four times, It's all one. The message is the code. And the question should not really be who was Shakespeare, but what was he, she, they, whoever this mysterious entity was. Whether you're presently a believer in the Stratford story or are already curious about the alternatives, I should warn you, it's even bigger than anything either side has yet imagined. And our preconceptions about the writer, that small screen, black and white grainy film that's playing in our collective consciousness right now is about to explode into widescreen, Technicolor surround sound like that moment in Wizard of Oz that changed cinema forever. Because in this story, there's a real wizard Dr. John Dee, he was the leading mathematician and cryptographer of the age, astronomer, navigator, Hebrew expert, Queen Elizabeth's astrologer and super spy in Europe, code number 007. He documented years of seances in which he was conversing with angels. Now, whether they were what we today think of as angels or let's say extra dimensional beings, Whatever they were, they certainly were helping Dee with his mission to create a cryptographic masterpiece whose purpose was to hide the true story of the greatest cover-up in literary history and pass it on securely across time so that it could be revealed once the world was ready to fully receive it. And that time is now. The secret has been decoded and I assure you You'll never think of the artist formerly known as Shakespeare in quite the same way ever again. The game's afoot. I was first introduced to this deep rabbit hole by a friend, Michael Dunn, who invited me to his one-man show, Sherlock Holmes Solves the Shakespeare Mystery. He grew up in a nearly bookless town, as the son of parents who could neither read nor write. For that matter, he never taught his children to read or write either. I went, as one does, to support a friend, but really reluctantly. My whole life, I had never had the least interest in the man we English call the bard. <laughs> it Just means poet, but in England, he's the poet. Like many people, I had a block about the costumes and the arcane language, and how they all speak they have hot potatoes in their mouths. Nevertheless, I went to my friend's performance, and within the first few minutes, I was utterly hooked by that list of anomalies we were never told about and the obvious cover-up they implied. I knew immediately this was the story I'd been waiting for. I had to write it as a musical. I figured I'd spend a year researching, writing it back. 18 months tops. But the more I learned, the deeper the story grew until it couldn't be contained within one singular sensational theatrical experience. It needed to be a novel, a, a trilogy, part historical drama, part modern day espionage thriller. I had the whole story mapped out, right up to the final scene, where my heroine solves a bunch of codes and wraps up the whole mystery with a big red bow. Ta-da! But at the time, I knew nothing about Renaissance codes, and I figured, well, I should at least read up on how they actually did codes back then. So while I was at it, I decided to go to Stratford and see the church for myself. So I did the tour, took some pictures came back home with a rubbing of shakespeare's gravestone stuck it on my wall and all the while furiously reading up on john Dee. he's this master cryptographer he used a grid method called equidistant letter sequencing or els it's a system that puts the letters of a text into a grid so it then reveals hidden messages vertically I happened to compare the rubbing I'd bought with photos that I'd taken of the actual gravestone and I noticed a problem. The rubbing had only a period where the actual gravestone had a colon. It turned out I had stumbled quite by accident upon something no biography of Dee seems to have ever noticed, that he expanded on the ELS system by creating grids that could give one solution by excluding punctuation and another by including punctuation. And more amazing yet, they complemented each other. This revelation brought about by the missing dot on the rubbing literally shook my world and opened up almost two decades so far of stunning codes and solutions. I'm, I'm really excited to share with you. So, The first thing is you need a sense of the layout of the church and where the key touchstones are that we'll be looking at in detail to solve the puzzle. This picture was taken during dress rehearsal for the music concert I gave at the Stratford Church. Shakespeare's gravestone right behind the piano. His text is cryptic. heavily suggesting a cipher. It doesn't even have Shakespeare's name on it. That's touchstone number one. Shakespeare's monument is on the wall above my head. Its text is even more suggestive of a code. The Latin lines are grammatically wrong. The English hardly makes any sense at all. So that's touchstone number two. A few yards behind me is the Holy of Holies altar stone. It too is very suspicious. But hey, I brought it back with me so you could see for yourself. Just kidding. Mm -hmm. Let's go have a look at mm-hmm. it. Every consecrated Catholic altar stone has to have five crosses on its surface representing Christ's stigmata wounds. When I first examined the one in Shakespeare's church, I saw it had only three. But I also discovered a fourth cross of a different size and style cut into the front side of the stone. which should not be there. So right away, there's a lot of mystery surrounding this 800 year old holy relic. Not least of which is the fact it was not even there during Shakespeare's lifetime. It had been hidden deep in the church catacombs at the start of Henry VIII's reformation. The ancient entrance to the catacombs is still marked by a cross on this flagstone outside the church. We don't know how far these medieval tunnels go underground. They could be anywhere within this area. But we do know the altar stone was not found deep in those ancient crumbling tunnels, but just inches below the stone slab flooring here in 1889, hidden beneath someone else's altar tomb in the South Cross aisle transept. Clearly, it had been deliberately moved from the hard-to-access tunnels to a place where they knew it would easily be found eventually, which it was. They cleaned it up, reinstated it in the most sacred spot in the church where we see it today, next to the gravestone and the monument and my piano. The solution I showed Diffie states clearly this altar stone is where Shakespeare has left the answer to the puzzle which of course was why I was there that day, setting up this huge banner to obscure the view of the altar as we prepared to radar scan it. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. In order to fully comprehend the codes you're about to see, we need to refresh our memories as to what happened on Mount Sinai nearly three and a half thousand years ago. Cast your minds back. After the Lord speaks to Moses from the burning bush, telling him to deliver a message to the elders, Moses asks, who shall I say sent me? And the Lord answers, Echir, Asher, Echir, which translates as, I am that I am. It's the first time in the Bible that the name of God is revealed by the Lord himself. Each word starts with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, And in a simple cipher that was well known during Shakespeare's day, the alphabet is revolved so that the first letter Aleph becomes the last letter Tav, mimicking what Christ said in Hebrew. I am the Aleph Tav, the beginning and the end. Thus, the three Alephs become three Tavs, and their Greek equivalent, three towers. These three letters were adopted by Royal Arch Freemasonry and are known as the triple tau. They allude to the three crosses at Calvary, which, as we know, were just simple tau crosses. The three T's were compressed into a symbol, wherein all are joined at the base and surrounded by the shape we know today as the Star of David, but which was originally the Seal of Solomon. The connected T's also resemble a TH, which, for Freemasons, holds three sacred meanings. Represented by Latin phrases. Keys to the treasure. Place where the precious thing is concealed. And first temple of Jerusalem. Solomon's temple. Do you see a triple tau symbol anywhere on the gravestone? It's not even encoded. It's right there in plain sight under the name Jesus. These Ys are printer's thorns. An old English shortcut for the letters th so these lines actually read blessed be the man that spares these stones and cursed be he that moves my bones what about actual th letters well there's one on each side but they're not separate t and h letters they're connected just like the triple tau symbol printers call this a ligature so Altogether, including the y-thorns, the gravestone has 5 ths representing the 5 stigmata wounds of Christ. Are there any ths in the monument? Yeah. There are 10, and every pair is ligatured, once again they're making that triple tau symbol. But there's also another pair of unusual ligatures, ME and ME. So what is it saying? I am that I am, me, but all caps. Important distinction, the real self, me. Notice the THs are in two distinct groups of four and six. So there's a pattern of groups reading four, two, six, left to right, or six, two, four, read backwards, Hebraic fashion. So we have Freemasonic TH ligatures in the gravestone, And in the monument, both of which have cryptic text suggesting a cipher, we don't have to look far to find touchstone number three. It's the dedication page of Shakespeare's sonnets, which is all extremely cryptic text. Notice first of all, it's structured as three inverted triangles of six lines, two lines, four lines, same pattern as the monument ligatures. In 1997, the late Oxfordian scholar John Rollett was the first to notice that if you count the sixth word, the second, the fourth, and so on, six, two, four, six, two, it reveals a sentence. These sonnets all by ever the fourth T. Ever was an obvious anagram of Vere, suggesting the leading alternate Shakespeare candidate, Edward de Vere, 17th Earl of Oxford, whose name also contains the 624 pattern. But Rollet couldn't figure out what the fourth T meant and he abandoned the search. In 2002, another Oxfordian scholar, Art Neuendorfer, thought that since the three T crosses represent Calvary, the fourth T might mean the fourth Tau cross, the fourth person crucified after Calvary in Christ's name. And that was St. Peter, who asked to be crucified upside down, saying, He was not worthy of dying the same way as his lord. Neuendorfer suspected an ELS grid might reveal an answer and use the standard method, excluding punctuation, that works like this. Just flow the first ten letters in, and then the next, and so on. You can do this with any grid you wish, of course. This is a five grid, this is a fourteen. He tried a nineteen grid and found a triple tau, with an inverted Tau cross next to it spelling the name De Vere. Very promising start that seemed to support Rollett's discovery and confirm Vere, the Earl of Oxford, as the author of the sonnets. Strangely, neither he nor Rollett followed up any further. But I saw their work shortly after I started researching John Dee and that helped me find something even deeper in it because in Dee's great cryptological masterpiece, the Monas Hieroglyphica, he clearly tells us he uses punctuation dots as part of his unique coding method. He states in it, there be not even one superfluous dot and not one dot wanting. So the fact that every word in the sonnet's dedication is followed by a dot told me this had to be Dee's work. I started by looking for other occurrences of the Triple Tau and Veer inverted cross. I put the gravestone text into every possible grid and discovered there's only one where you find a Triple Tau next to an inverted Tau cross spelling the name Veers, as in belonging to Veer. I did the same with the Monument text and found there's only one there that has a Triple Tau balanced against an inverted Tau cross spelling E Veer for Edward. So it looked like I was onto something. It had the consistency of a definite repetitive system. I dove deeper into the gravestone. Besides the Triple Tau and Vier's cross, I saw ears and eyes perfectly balanced against each other like Freemasonic T-squares. Well, here's Queen Elizabeth in one of her favorite gowns covered in ears and eyes. She's basically telling the world, don't mess with me. I've got my spies everywhere. Well, Elizabeth's chief spy in Europe was D. He was literally the ears and eyes of Her Majesty. But he's gone even further and actually signed his work with two pillars, like the Boaz Yakin pillars at the entrance to Solomon's Temple D and D. But here's the kicker his code number, 007, how brilliant, O-O-D, in the shape of a number seven. We're gonna see a lot more of Dee's signatures and his great sense of humor, but there's more. D was communing with angels in seances for over a decade in England and Europe. One of the most important of those sessions took place in Krakow, Poland in 1584, a coded transmission was delivered to D during a long session that started on June 24, 624. The angels gave precise instructions to put all the letters into four quadrants, and as you can see, D marked the grid himself. There are precisely 624 spaces. The document is called the Enochian Tables, and of course, it's the private red key that you saw in the previous episode. And the public yellow key was the three grids I've just shown you. So let's recap. D created three separate grids, sonnet's dedication, monument, and gravestone, all excluding punctuation. But the Enochian tables were divinely inspired and uploaded to D by angelic beings. I had a hunch he was using dots as a way to create other grids that would add extra meaning to the first messages. So I counted the punctuation and characters in all three to see if they led to the next step in the puzzle. So, Sonus dedication, including all characters and dots, total, 178. Monument, all characters and punctuation, 332. Gravestone, all characters and punctuation, 113. Overall total, Six-hundred-and-twenty-three? What? Impossible. If it had been out by five or six, I'd have admitted my hunch was wrong, but out by one? There had to be a mistake. Somewhere I... And then I realized. I was using the rubbing of the gravestone, which of course is wrong. It has a single dot instead of a colon. This is the moment I absolutely knew I got his methodology down. Clearly, he was using the colon like a null as a way of filling two separate spaces when necessary. Bingo. The true total for all three is 624. There couldn't be a clearer invitation to match the 624 characters of the three touchstones against the 624 characters of the Enochian tables. However, just laying them over each other is only the first step. You need a master key to know what points to what. I looked deeper into Royal Arch Masonry and I discovered that members are awarded this companion's jewel when they reach a certain level. It's a seal of Solomon again, within a circle of gold. And at the bottom is a Latin phrase, Nil nisi clavis diest, which means nothing is wanting but the key. And the key, of course, is the T-H symbol in the center. That's it. The sonnet's dedication is signed T-T, the initials of the publisher Thomas Thorpe. But, of course, that's a clue hiding in plain sight, isn't it? He's really Thomas Thorpe. T-H-T-H. The master key is, in fact, the double T of his sign off And there are just five sets of the double T's that point across from the sonnet's dedication, gravestone and monument to the letters in the Enochian tables that reveal a message, living page. But the part that shocked Diffie was that the master key, five sets of double T's is also in the Enochian tables. Now, this is where to fully comprehend the system, it can take 18 years, because you don't suspect at first that it's gonna be much more than just a new and improved ELS system. But it's so much more. It migrates across all Shakespeare's works because he can't resist putting clues into seemingly unrelated scenes in the plays. You end up having to read them all to recognize that it's always little moments usually comedic, that seem to have nothing to do with the main storyline. Like he's just putting in a slapstick routine for a little light relief. But they're always secret hidden references to the overall bigger puzzle of the Shakespeare mystery. One such scene is where Malvolio in Twelfth Night is reading a letter that contains a code. It occurs at the very top of page 264, where we read, No man must know. No man must know. What follows? The number's altered. No man must know. And sure enough, you look across and the number has been altered. 273 instead of 265. Further down, he reads, M-O-A-I doth sway my life and does some juggling of the letters which he observes all occur in his own name. It's a subtle nod to Juliet's What's-In-A-Name, because he sees it's a partial anagram of his own name, but he just can't work it out. In fact, it's never solved in the play. It's supposed to be solved by us in the bigger play, within the play. Further down, and drawing attention to itself in italics, he reads, If this fall into thy hand, revolve. Well, if we revolve the letters... We get I-A-O-M, and my good friend, Professor Michael Delahoy, who teaches Shakespeare at Washington State University, pointed out to me that I-A-O-M is the Freemasons' most sacred password, given only under strictest secrecy. I remember thinking, could it really be that simple? It's page 264, after all, the, the nearest he can get to a page 624 or 426, as the sections in the folio Don't go that high. Are we supposed to just revolve the Enochian tables? Well, turns out that's exactly what we're being instructed to do. And now the double T's in both directions are pointing to completely different letters, but back at their own private codes. Diffy colored paint analogy again. (laughs) And when mixed together, they give messages three and four. I have hewn desiderata. The whole solution is a Shakespearean rhyming couplet in iambic tetrameter form. It says, living page, yo stigmata, I have hewn desiderata. In modern parlance, it says, there's a living page, a preserved record kept alive. Yo, Middle English word that means look closely at. Stigmata, Christ wounds, where the crosses carve into a consecrated altar stone where I have hewn, cut into stone, desiderata, Latin for my desires, what I want you to know. All of which points us to the altar stone.